Time has produced some of the greatest animals to walk the face of this planet we call home. Animals who survive the most harrowing ordeals, pushing their paws to the extreme. Whether they're at war, lost at sea, or rescuing people from dangerous situations, we explore them all. Who are these animals? What happened? Where are they now? Join us on this special episode to find out. Not me, not today podcast. Hey guys, it's Leisha and Kenny here, and welcome to another episode of Not Me, Not Today podcast. Hello, and hello to everyone wherever you are in the world. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to say before we get started, thank you for all the support, everyone. We're really glad you're enjoying the stories every week, and we'd like to send a massive shout out to our listeners in the UK and Ireland, the US and Canada, all across Europe, and we'd like to say hi to our new listeners in Australia, New Zealand, and in India too. Honestly, guys, the support has been amazing. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't gotten in touch yet, we'll give you all the linky goodness at the end. Kenny and I decided this week we'd change it up a little. Next week, we have a tough episode with nearly all the trigger warnings available, but felt it might be a little much after last week's episode. So this is a fun palate cleanser. So, Kenny, would you like to tell the people what this week's episode is about? Sure. This week's going to be a little bit different. We've got an animal survivor story for you. We can't forget the world has given us some incredible animal companions that have survived some pretty harrowing ordeals of their own. And that leaves me with one question. Leisha, what's the story? Today's story is about man's best friend, the canine. This one will make you cry. Happy tears, but you'll probably cry. (laughs) The dog that takes centre stage in this story is a survivor and a hero. Her name is Judy. Judy was a liver and white English pointer. She was born in February 1936 in Shanghai, China in the dog kennels used by English-speaking expats. Her name was originally Shudi, but they anglicised her name and she became Judy. Judy was one of seven puppies born to her mum, Kelly, owned by by a couple from Sussex. Judy, the mischievous and unruly puppy, escaped when she was just 12 weeks old, escaping into a back alley and being kept there by a shopkeeper until she was six months old. Following an altercation with some Japanese sailors, she was found by one of the kennel workers and returned to them. However, because Judy had been gone for so long, her mother and siblings were no longer there when she returned. In late 1936, the crew of the insect-class gunboat HMS Nat voted to get a ship's mascot. The rival ships had mascots of their own, so Lieutenant Commander J. Walgreave and Chief Petty Officer Charles Jeffrey went out to look for their new mascot. Being English speakers, they were directed towards the English expats' kennels, and here is where they met Judy. They purchased her and presented her to the crew. The idea was that she'd be a working gun dog. But as most of us who've spent any time around dogs, it's not long until they charm you. Judy was no different and charmed all the men aboard the HMS Nat. They began to treat her more like a pet. So much so that Petty Officer Charles Jeffrey actually wrote in his journal... Our chances of making her a trained gun dog are very small. Doesn't that just warm your heart? (laughs) That's brilliant. I love dogs. Anyway, as a gun dog, she was pretty much useless. And the only time they could get her to point was when she could smell food. Classic. Totally. Whilst aboard, Jan Tanky Cooper was given the job of keeper of the ship's dog. Luckily for Judy, Tanky was also the ship's butcher. 
she was given an open box and a blanket to sleep on. She was trained not to enter certain parts of the ship because the Chinese cooks weren't as fond of her. But Judy very quickly became one of the crew. Later that winter, Judy fell overboard. Jeffries noticed her in the water and stopped the ship. He sent a powerboat to go and get her. It was recorded in the ship's log as a man overboard exercise. They found Judy's nose to be quite sensitive and a help when coming across cess boats, as in cess pit, and she would alert them in time for them to close the hatches and to minimise the stink wafting through the windows. Once she alerted the crew to river pirates who were trying to board in the dark. The pirates lost the surprise element and the crew fought back, ultimately winning. She proceeded to prove her worth many a time over the next two years. She was able to hear hostile Japanese aircraft before any of the humans could hear them coming. She would bark when she heard them. She even saved Jeffries from a leopard whilst he took her for a walk, pulling him away from it before he'd even noticed it was there. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't it? She was such a charmer that she was almost stolen by an American ship. Both the HMS Nat and the USS Panay held a party for the two ships' company and crews. The Nat set off the next morning without Judy on board. When the crew of the Nat contacted the Panay to ask about the dog, the Panay insisted they hadn't seen her. It wasn't until a Chinese trader told them about it the following day that they decided to get Judy back. They decided to steal their bell. Once they stole the bell, they contacted the Americans and offered a trade. Judy was returned within the hour. This was a much-loved dog. Oh yeah, and that's not even scratching the surface. Now most people have a love story and Judy is no different. Judy met her husband Paul in 1938. Did you just say husband? You bet I did. When Judy was docked in Hankuau, Judy took a liking to another pointer on board a French gunboat called the Francis Garnier. The two ships held a wedding ceremony for the two dogs. The honeymoon lasted three days as he was called back to his ship and they departed. Judy now found herself pregnant and gave birth to 13 puppies. Ten of them survived and were given away when old enough to various different ships and their crew. One of those being the Francis Garnier and the USS Guam. So this is now where the story gets serious and exciting. In 1939, the HMS Grasshopper came to take over operations inspecting class vessels. Part of the crew transferred for the HMS Nat, including Judy. When the British declared war on Germany in September of that year, several of the river gunboats and the Grasshopper included were redeployed to the British base in Singapore. Judy was initially seasick, but the crew ensured that she was properly walked and by the time the ship pulled into the station, she had recovered. Initially, the stay at Singapore was peaceful and Judy had stayed with a customs official and his family for a week ashore. The ship was rarely deployed until January 1942, when it was finally deployed along with other gunboats to provide covering bombardments along the coast of Malaya for retreating troops and occasionally to carry out evacuations. The Battle of Singapore took place between the 8th and the 15th of February. 
On the first day, the ship that Judy was on, the HMS Grasshopper, along with other military vessels, sailed out to sea to provide anti-aircraft fire. By February 11th, the Grasshopper and its sister ship, the Dragonfly, were the largest vessels left at Singapore. On February 13th, they were ordered to retreat and evacuate from Singapore. They left at 9pm that evening and the Grasshopper's log recorded that Judy had personally greeted nearly everyone on board both ships. I love how they record and reported these things. <laughs> Me too, it's so sweet. Judy just doing her duties. Judy's duties. <laughs> As they headed for Batavia, they feared the Japanese would bomb them, so decided to go past the Linga Islands, hoping that they could use the islands to hide. As they approached on February 14th, Judy alerted them to approaching Japanese aircraft and the anti-aircraft gunners took up their position in readiness. However, it wasn't enough and with a singular bomb, the Japanese hit the grasshopper and took off into the sky away from them. Judy was below deck when they turned around and came back, raining bombs from the sky. The dragonfly was hit by three and sank quickly. The grasshopper was hit by a further two and a fire began to spread in the ammunition compartment. They were given the order to abandon ship. It was outright chaos. Boats were lowered and the crew and evacuees were ferried just over a hundred yards to shore whilst the Japanese tried to shower the vessels with bullets from above. They scrambled to a deserted island and when they got ashore they realised Judy wasn't with them on the boats. Where was Judy? Don't worry. Like I said in this episode, it's a feel-good one. So this is where it gets exciting and crazy. Whilst on the island, there weren't much supplies for food. So George White, who had been the recent handler of Judy, went back to the still-floating ship to scavenge for supplies. When he descended below the decks to see what he could find, in there, in the darkness, feeling around with his hands, he found Judy. She was pinned into her bed under some fallen lockers. So, George freed her. He made a raft out of scraps he found on the grasshopper and along with Judy, rode back to the island. Judy proved to be very useful on this island. Water was running scarce until she began digging in the dirt. She unearthed a fresh water spring and was credited to saving everyone's lives. During the first night, the magazine on the grasshopper finally caught light and exploded, sinking the vessel. This left the crew and Judy alone on the island, camping on the beach for a few days, whilst Judy helped to protect them from snakes. Good dog. Such a good girl. Five days later, a boat arrived and took the stranded survivors to Sinkep Island, which is the largest of the Linga Islands. They left the wounded to be tended to, but the able-bodied crew and Judy travelled on in hope that a British force remained that could take them to Sri Lanka. They took the vessel up a series of rivers until they narrowed so much that the ship could not pass. They then embarked in a 200-mile, 320-kilometre cross-country trek across the island in an attempt to reach Padang. During the journey through the jungle, Judy was attacked by a crocodile and suffered a cut to her shoulder, but the crew patched her back up with some first aid supplies. 
She continued to warn them of approaching predators and one crewman claimed that she saved him from a Sumatran tiger. They emerged from the jungle at Sawaluntau, where they caught the train towards Padang. The crew missed the last evacuation ship by nine days. The Japanese were due to arrive and take over the city at any moment. After the arrival of the Japanese, the survivors from the Grasshopper, along with Judy, were taken into custody as prisoners of war on 18th of March, 1942. Judy was taken into the camps as a prisoner of war. The Japanese didn't really like her, but didn't want to kill her, so they let her roam around the camps. They would on occasion beat her when she interfered with them or in any tasks that they were doing, including when she would attack them for harming one of the crew. Dogs are just so loyal, aren't they? I know, you can almost just picture her standing up for what's right. As the crew were moved between prisoner of war camps, they managed to keep Judy with them, smuggling her under empty rice sacks. After five days, they arrived at the prisoner of war camp in Medan. They spent months here, Judy being fed scraps from around the camp, like handfuls of rice and bits of leather. In August 1942, Judy met leading aircraftman Frank Williams. It was with Frank, Judy would spend the rest of her adventure and travels, developing a special bond. A quote I found from him was, I remember thinking, what on earth is a beautiful English pointer doing here with no one to care for her? I realised that even though she was thin, she was a survivor. He would share his rice with her and she would try to stop the guards from punishing him. He pled with the guards on a few occasions not to kill her as she growled and barked at them. During her time there, Judy would alert prisoners about the approaching Japanese guards and any other possible dangers like snakes and scorpions. Also, since Judy was allowed freer reign than the human prisoners, she would often scour for food and bring it back to Frank, like snakes, mice, and any other food she could find. So, weird little side story to this. Frank actually managed to convince a drunken guard to sign a registration paper that if Judy was to have puppies, he could have one, but he must call it 81A Glowgoer Medan which is bizarre, but it was also in this interaction that he managed to get the guard to sign the prisoner of war papers for Judy, which officially made her the only dog to be declared a prisoner of war. Wow, that's so cool. That's such a weird name choice, though. Before Elon Musk was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Did Judy have those puppies? She did, actually. She went on to have a litter of five puppies. The drunken guard got his puppy. One was smuggled into the women's camp along with any food that the men could spare. One was given to the Red Cross in Medan. And one was, minor trigger warning here, beaten to death by a drunken guard. The last one remained in the camp after Frank and Judy left. So then, in 1944, the surviving members of the Grasshopper were then transferred to Singapore upon a renamed Japanese boat. However, dogs were not allowed on the boat So Frank taught Judy to sit perfectly still and silent in an empty rice sack so she could be smuggled aboard while some of the crew distracted the guards. Judy actually climbed into the rice sack and Frank slung it over his shoulder and walked aboard. They were forced to stand in the searing heat on deck for three long hours, 
all the while, Judy remains silent and still in the bag. Wow, they're both in on the plan. That's so good. Yep. The conditions that they had to endure on the ship weren't nice. It was cramped with more than 700 prisoners. And on June 26th, 1942, at 12.42pm, it was torpedoed. It was going down. It was chaos aboard the ship. 700 prisoners and the crew were now going to have to swim for their lives. The only one to stay calm aboard the sinking vessel was Judy. Frank was to have said, She was incredibly calm and motionlessly waiting for me to make my move. Frank was going to have to push her out the window. He was stated as saying, She looked down and back at me with a sad look. I immediately understood her. She thought I was nuts. She then wrenched herself up with curled up rear paws through the porthole. The hole was just wide enough and with a last push, she disappeared from sight. It was a 15 foot drop. The hole wasn't big enough for Frank to fit through, so he found another way off the ship, not really knowing if Judy was still alive or not. Another quote from Frank read, As far as the eye could see, the sea was filled with wreckage being dragged away by fast currents. Somewhere in there, Judy was swimming. So Frank was then recaptured and sent to a new camp without news of Judy's survival. That is, until stories began to swirl around. The stories told of a dog who helped drowning men and would bring them floatable things to hold on to. It was even said that the men would hold onto her back whilst she paddled them to safety, returning to try and save more. Who is this dog? Super dog? <laughs> I know, right? It could bring tears to your eyes. Well, she'd been taken by several survivors from the ship and once again hidden from the Japanese. A man named Searle, after a lot of convincing and a new commander with a soft spot for Judy, allowed them onto the ship. Any guesses where she ends up? In a camp? In Frank's camp. <laughs> no way. Yes. We even have a quote from him here. I couldn't believe my eyes. As I entered the camp, a scraggy dog hit me square between the shoulders and knocked me over. I'd never been so glad to see the old girl. And I think she felt the same. And after being reunited, they spent four weeks together at the new camp when they were told they were going to be going on a special mission to pick fruit. It was, however, not a mission to pick fruit. It pretty much turned out to be a Japanese hard labour camp where they spent a year laying railway track. The conditions were pretty bleak. Rations were apparently handfuls of maggot-ridden tapioca a day, which Frank still shared with Judy. However, wherever Judy went, she proved useful. She was used by the guards to alert them to larger predators or people hiding near the tracks. She was a special dog, but in the harsh conditions started to change a little. Frank wrote, She wasn't that tame, obedient dog anymore. She was a skinny animal that kept herself alive through cunning and instinct. Nonetheless, Judy stuck by Frank's side and he later wrote this. She saved my life in so many ways. The greatest way of all was giving me a reason to live. All I had to do was look at her and into those weary, bloodshot eyes and I would ask myself, what would happen to her if I died? 
I had to keep going, even if it meant waiting for a miracle. A man named Tom Scott, who was in that camp with Judy and Frank, later remarked on their incredible bond. Frank would send her into the forest with a click and call her back with a whistle. Apparently, Frank also once found Judy trying to bury an elephant's leg bone. Judy didn't take too fondly of the guards and they weren't a big fan of hers either. Usually, when she got unruly or they were working, Frank sent her into the woods to get away from them. However, on one occasion, they actually chased after her and shot at her. Frank found her lying in the woods with a bleeding shoulder, the bullet having grazed her. He treated her there with whatever he could find, using palm fronds. They were forced to move camps once again, and Judy was actually sentenced to death for lice control. Frank sent her into the woods where she hid for three days. The guards conducted sweeps of the camp but couldn't find her. She came out hiding when they gave up and left. The Japanese then abandoned the camp and the prisoners. Two members of the Royal Air Force parachuted in and told the camp prisoners to hold tight until Allied troops arrived. How did they get Judy back? Frank and Searle. The man who looked after her when he reunited her with Frank and two other passengers smuggled her aboard the rescue ship that headed home to Liverpool. She managed to dodge the detection of dock police and was given to a cook to mind for the journey to make sure that she was well fed. She stayed aboard the ship, known to only a few crew members. But when the captain found out, he was pretty angry about it. But Frank managed to talk him around. <laughs> After all she'd been through, you'd have to feel sorry for her a little bit. Even the captain, I'm sure. Oh, I know. So naturally, being smuggled aboard, having spent your life in a foreign country, Judy was bound to run into the law somewhere. And she did, when she returned back to the UK. Judy was placed into quarantine for six months in Hackbridge, Surrey, in England. Frank and a few other servicemen visited Judy as often as they could. She created quite a bond with these men. However, quarantine is not free and cost Frank £12. £12 he couldn't afford. So an advert was placed in the December version of Tailwaggers Club magazine and a total of 61 people donated equaling a final number of 18 pounds, eight shillings and eight pence. That's so nice. Isn't it? Finally, on April 29th, 1946, Judy was released from quarantine to Frank. They both headed straight for London. A ceremony was organised by the Kennel Club in which they awarded her a medal for valour, which is courage usually in the face of battle. She also received a PDSA Dickon Medal, an animal equivalent to the Victoria Cross. Judy was also enrolled as their only canine member of the returned British Prisoners of War Association. Her story grew massive notoriety and Judy became famous. Frank would often sell photos of her to raise money for people's dispensary for sick animals. Judy would approve. Absolutely, she would. <laughs> Newspapers were writing about her. Radio and news channels were talking about her. She was even asked to interview for the BBC for their radio coverage of the London Victory Celebrations of 1946. And on June 8th, her barks were broadcast around the world as part of the programme of In Town Tonight. That's tremendous. <laughs> 
Frank and Judy spent the next year visiting the relatives of the prisoners of war who had not survived. Judy seemed to always give a warm and comforting presence. Together, they raised money for charities by making appearances at dog shows and interviews. Frank and Judy eventually retired and Frank took her back to Portsmouth. On May 10th, Frank and Judy were due to have their final adventure when he had difficulty in getting permission to take her to East Africa. The Evening Standard got involved and wrote an article about the struggle and possibility of them being separated. Well, the public couldn't stand for this and a man named William Lever got involved and got permission for Judy to travel with Frank. Judy had her third and final litter of puppies whilst away in Africa. After two years though, Judy was found to have a mammary tumour. She had an operation to have it removed but contracted a tetanus infection. Judy was put to sleep on February 17th, 1950, at the age of 13. They held a funeral for her. Judy was buried in her RAF jacket with her campaign medals, the 1939-1945 Star, the Pacific Star and the Defence Medal. Frank actually spent two months building her a marble memorial in her memory, which includes a plaque that tells about the story of her life. That memorial is in Tanzania, Africa. On February 27th, 1950, they held a remembrance service for her in churches across Gosport and Portsmouth. Her Dickin Medal now sits in the Imperial War Museum in London as part of the Animals War Exhibition. It was presented to them by Alan Williams, Frank's son. Oh, wow. That's also something we perhaps forget, that thousands of dogs served in the Second World War and saved so many lives. Well, they are heroes too. Yeah. Well, there was a book written about Judy in 1973 called The Judy Story, and in 1992, it was featured in Blue Peter. There was also a new book written by Damian Lewis called Judy, released in 2016, which gives way more depth than this episode. You can get it online or in some bookshops. You can also read about her on the gov.uk website. So yeah, that's the story of Judy. How wholesome is that story? Very wholesome. That was such a good story. And as we said, next week is an extreme one. So this was a nice, pleasant tale of a furry four-legged hero. We hope you all enjoyed it. Now, before we go, if you haven't stopped by our Facebook page, it features all the images of the stories we cover each week. Just go to Not Me, Not Today Podcast and give us a cheeky like. And if you're kind enough to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate that. If you haven't sent us an email yet, we'd love to hear from you. Not Me, Not Today Podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, stay alive. Bye. Bye. Not Me, Not Today Podcast.